Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast. I am delighted to be outdoors this time and not uh, doing an interview remotely. And I am on an organic farm in Lemster, not Leominster, as I wrongly suggested, uh, in Herefordshire, with Ben Andrews, better known as Farmer Ben on Instagram. Ben, it's great to be here. Hi Sean, good to see you. <laughs> yeah, finally made it about yeah, two years yeah, after yeah. first talking about coming to visit. Um, but uh, lockdown restrictions have meant we can actually socially distance, have a walk around the farm. In the fresh air. Yeah, it's great. So um, we've had a little walk so far and you've shown me uh, all your organic veg, kale and lettuce and uh, strips of uh, wildflowers for bees and butterflies and things. Yeah, we've um, seen some little brown jobs. Little brown jobs, which yeah. are uh, meadow pipits yeah. and dunnocks and wrens, yeah. Um, but we're now looking at your lapwing field. Tell us a little bit about this. So this field is, so all our fields have got some quite weird names. This is called Volkers. Right. Um, and... It's got a, you can probably hear, it's got a road and railway line running right along the, the edge of it. Floods quite often, floods every year, but last year it flooded more than usual. This is the um, one that was under a yeah, lot of water, yeah? serious amount of water for pretty much six months. And when I was a kid growing up, this field was always the peewit field, lapwing. Yeah. Um, and it used to be full of them. I used to come down here, my parents used to come down, um, bring us down as kids, me and my brother, we'd have a picnic down here and we'd just watch them. And for us, our, our farming practices didn't really change. And so we couldn't really understand why lapwing numbers were declining yeah. as, as much as they were. Um, and around here, there, isn't, there hasn't been a huge shift to particularly intensive intensive agriculture there's some some um some livestock farms just the other side of the railway line um there's like a poplar poplar plantation just the other side of the river yeah yeah uh and so as part of the um the old higher tier stewardship scheme and and now the mid-tier um stewardship scheme we've left this uh area just um as bare earth for ground nesting birds, yeah. such as, as lapwings. So what, you plough it once a year just to disturb the ground? They, yeah. That's yeah. their prefer- preference, yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. like they're like um, they're like bare earth. earth. And so you, you get them a lot uh, in potato ground. So okay. if you've got potato furrows, they'll nest in there quite often. Yeah. Uh, so... So what area is this that you've devoted to ground nesting birds? About a hectare, yeah. Yeah. Um, and... We've had mixed success with it. So when we first put it in, we were getting lapwings coming down here, but they weren't. They didn't seem to stay to the nest. Okay. Yeah, they weren't yeah. breeding. Last year I had a lot more down here. Um, bizarrely, not necessarily staying on this bit, in other parts of the field. Presumably, you get lots of winter ones coming in to feed on the wet fields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, also get some other birds around here. Golden plover, quite, quite wet. wet. I haven't seen any of those. Um, I mean, it's all, all the sounds going on now. We've got a train going past, helicopter, the, uh, <laughs> the police helicopter going past. They're after um, us, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not it's not exactly the most uh, peaceful, um, idyllic rural existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's quite so. You know, I'm sure the birds don't absolutely love it much either. But yeah. we have started to see the numbers coming up a bit and the good thing is when you get to that critical mass of, of numbers here they manage to um, keep the crows away as well I was going to say they almost nest in loose colonies they do better because they can mob the crows and yeah, keep them off the eggs exactly, and chicks don't exactly. they yeah. it's quite nice to see them sort of seeing off some crows because uh, because we do have quite a, because we've got all the the poplar um, sort of trees around us they, they sort of surround the farm and you yeah. get a lot of crows nesting up those trees it makes it quite easy uh, easy day 
Yeah. yeah, it's it's great to see them, them starting to um, to make a bit of a, a bit of a comeback, and we also get this is down where we get a lot of the um, the yellow wagtails as well. Great, yeah, yeah, it's good. Anything uh, rare or unusual show up ever? Do you know? Um, I haven't seen anything particularly rare. We just had yeah. Um, so also in this field, we've got got a, a pond with trees around it. We have willow warblers. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, like I was saying, we've got grey and the yellow wagtails, white wagtails as well. Yeah. Um, egrets, which aren't that common for, for round here. Yeah. Um, They're really increasing in number now, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. I went canoeing a couple of months ago and it was really nice to see loads of them actually on the River Wye. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the river was absolutely alive with, uh, with, with waterfowl. Yeah. Um, so this is your pond in here. So is this it? is the pond. Yeah, we'll go and have a look at that. We recently uh, decided to take um, a lot of the fence down from around it and actually allow the cattle to get to, in. to get in there. Yeah. And it's actually the banks look a lot more natural than when we were managing it ourselves. You've got them going so they're in. grazing some of the kind of grazing vegetation of and banks, lifting the yeah. crowns of the trees Rising. and things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's uh... oh, look at this. So you're going to get beavers next, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. So did you guys put this in, or was it a natural pond yeah. anyway? Got some mallard taken off there. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can. See. It's fairly recent, but, I'd say, is it? Uh, well, this this um, has been here. I think we dug it when I was about eight. Okay. So about thirty years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's in the. We can walk around. Yeah. Here. We can see some some white geese. Yeah. Uh, just. Did they just made, show up or? Just turned up. Yeah. Made themselves at home. They've been here a while. Perfectly happy. Yeah, uh, probably about six months. Okay. I see you've got nice, like, native aquatic vegetation in there. Do you get amphibians breeding in here? Yeah, yeah, I get, um... Uh, I mean, I'm not, uh... You're not a I'm frog not, nerd like I'm me, no? I'm not a frog nerd like you. <laughs> I don't mind, no, I don't know I'm a newt. Well, you um, get newts and frogs and toads, maybe, do you? Or? Yeah, yeah, you see a lot of see a lot of uh, lot of frogs down here. Yeah, um, I, I remember we used to come we used to come looking for frogs for when I was a kid. Yeah, uh, great. There's um, we had I think it was eight um, eight cygnets down on here with with um, a pair of. Yeah. There are swans. Back in the very good. Back in the summer. And so your dad would have put this in, yeah. Yeah. And was yeah. it mainly for at that stage? Was it mainly for like a water source for the cattle, or was it for nature? Or if I'm honest, I'm not entirely sure why he did it. Yeah. Uh, so I, don't, I think that it might have been uh, initially as a um, for irrigation. For yeah. The, uh, for the um, for the crops. For the crops, yeah. But we've never actually, never actually used it for for that purpose. Okay. Um, yeah, like I was saying, we took the took the fence down, and they the cattle grayed out the banks a little bit, so they're not quite so steep sided. Yeah. So I guess it makes it a bit easier for various wildlife to get get in access. Out. Yeah. And brings more light, I suppose, into the edges as well, right? Yeah, and you can see the where they've um, so they've taken the the skirts of the trees up. Oh, yeah, yeah. A bit, and again, that lets a bit of lets a bit of light in. Yeah, you uh, could kind of diversify into water buffalo with this, couldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> if, I had, if I had a pound for every, if this blood so much, if I had a pound for every time someone had said. Why don't you get some water buffalo? Oh, really? <laughs> it's not an original joke. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's either water buffalo or rice. Okay. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, heard it before. <laughs> um, so the river that runs, that's, where's that? Over yeah, so here? Just, yeah. just that fence line there. Oh, yeah. And is that the border of your land, or are you on the other uh, side of that as well? We've got one field just the other side. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so all this... 
all this floods regularly. Yeah, like a flood every year, just not always as bad as it did. As it did this year. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why this is all permanent pasture and yep. just for grazing cattle. Because it's just, in the past we have tried cultivating this and growing crops down here, but it just isn't worth the risk. Yeah. And then also, if you are doing that on floodland, you know, if you've got, if you've got bare earth and it floods, it's you end up with all your topsoil. Soil. All your topsoil goes down, goes down the river. So not only are you losing topsoil, but you're also polluting the river with phosphates. Yeah. And the river lug, which this river, the river Arrow, flows into, yeah. um, has serious levels of, prof- of phosphates in it at the moment, which are sort of like breaking all the, all the sort of like the, the rules. Right. Um, way over the, um, the, the permitted levels. So, so having knock-on consequences on the biodiversity of the river and so, the yeah, insect life exactly, and all that exactly, kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So there is a thought that that is partly to do with the amount of chicken sheds there are around here. Okay. Um, Herefordshire, unfortunately, is one of the factory farming capitals of the UK. Pigs um, and chickens, is it? Chickens, or mainly chickens? Mostly chickens, yeah. yeah. A lot of intensive uh, chicken sheds. Yeah. Um, and a big processing plant in the middle of in the middle of town. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, not not problems. Yeah. So Ben, tell us about like the history of your farm and how you farm. You're an organic farm. Yeah. Has that always been the case? Uh, we've been organic now for we went. Um, fully converted so we started conversion in 1998 yeah and so 2001 was our first year of uh, farming fully organic yeah so that was um, just about when I was finishing school just uh, after I finished school we are tenant farmers it's owned by Oxford University and we've been here since um, the 1930s right my great my great grandfather moved here on the same bit of land. Yeah, yeah, yeah here. Uh, but then my family have been farmers for forever around <laughs> around around this area. Yeah. So we've, I think in 400 years, I think we've moved about a county. Okay. So my mum's family are from the next door farm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty typical. Yeah. Pretty typical farmer stuff. Um, yeah. So we farm a little bit of. Uh, it's a mixed farm, so we're doing uh, beef, arable, and vegetables. Yeah. And we find that works really well with an organic system because you've got um, you've got the cattle uh, that create the muck. Yeah. Mix that, you know, that's to you know, the fertility for the land. Yeah, the manure yeah. with the, with the straw bedding they, they, from the sheds over the winter goes on the land, fertilizes the land. Then also we have breaks in the rotation with clover lays, so temporary, temporary, put temporary clover down. That helps build fertility in the soil. But then we also harvest that as silage to feed the cattle during the winter. Yeah. Uh, so it's all like trying to maintain so it's kind the, of a um, nutrient loop. A bit of a circular system. Yeah, We've yeah. Talked well, before about permaculture principles, haven't we? And how you kind of closing yeah, that loop. It's, it's like the. You know, I think it was one of the first things you learn in, in geography at school, isn't it? So like the carbon cycle and the nitrogen cycle. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to maintain that maintain that cycle. So you don't have many inputs like off the farm. You're trying to create all of yeah. your inputs on site. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And, and as I was saying, you know, just by using byproducts from the cereal crops, so yeah. the straw, it's bedding for the cattle during the winter. Yeah. And then that goes back on the ground built um to like the 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 nutrients required for crop growth but also because you've got the straw in there also helps build the organic matter and carbon from the straw exactly and you know carbon um saw carbon is you know it's the buzzword isn't it yeah Yeah. carbon sequestration oh everyone's talking about it um just on a on an off side thing are you suffering with ash dieback see some of these trees look a bit yeah it's it's funny some of them some of them are so some of these are and then there are there are others where um 
you'll see they're absolutely absolutely, absolutely fine. fine. So it is a bit of a bit of a shame. Um, really, although there was an oak tree that was growing up right alongside that one yeah. that came down in a, in a strong wind and um, it's a nice tall straight one so we just had it all cut up and planked yeah my parents just had some, had it seedling in the in the shed and my parents just had some benches made up from it I was going to say what's plans for it it's a nice yeah, piece of oak yeah um, they're thinking that some of the ash might have um, resistance to yeah I think it's, like it's a virus isn't it yeah, yeah. My, uh, at my house over um, a few miles away there are uh, trees just the other you know practically touching distance from um, from some of our trees yeah that are much um, that, that you know they've been affected by it and you can see them dying off but ours look bigger and healthier than ever so I'm really hoping that, uh, that ours yeah, some resistant ones yeah yeah, yeah. time will tell yeah. so going back to that conversion then to organic was it a conscious decision for like economic reasons that it would be more profitable at that point in time or why was the decision made to go organic yeah at the at the time i mean it's we're like saying 20 years ago i wasn't really having an awful lot of input into the farm yeah then but it was it was an economic decision because there was um so the talk about the premiums you'd get for uh organic produce over conventional yeah um and there was also there were also uh grants like the stewardship grant now, there were grants to um, to be had for converting. Yeah. So we we, we actually went organic, and then before a lot of other people did, then a load of other people jumped on it as well, and then the organic prices just dropped, dropped to the floor. Yeah, yeah. And so then a lot of people went back out of organic. We stuck with it, yeah, and and then it sort of plateaued out yeah. a bit, and it seems to have stabilised now. Right, yeah. Um, Shall we hop into the yeah and get we'll out go, of, go out go of the wind? Yeah. <laughs> cool. So Ben, we've come to another part of the farm now. This is obviously not crop, but it must be for birds, is it? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was looking a lot nicer than this. If you come, <laughs> a couple starting of, to fade. If you come a couple of months ago. It was looking quite stunning. Uh, field of sunflowers, also got in there barley, uh, millet, and quinoa. Yeah. Um, some other bit, bits and bobs in there as well for uh, for b- birds and bees. So oxide daisies in yeah, there still going. Yeah. Yeah. So they've had the um, the bees have had their their fill of it. So they've were loving so we've got some hives just next to it i see them up there yeah, yeah that someone keeps uh, a local beekeeper keeps bees here in exchange for giving us some honey yeah the, the field was absolutely live with bees earlier in the year when all the sunflowers were out i'd say it looked amazing looked absolutely stunning but although it's not looking so pretty now it's just as important because these sunflowers will feed birds um to, over the winter uh, so it's not just the sunflower seeds. Yeah. There's also the barley yeah. got in there, and like I said, the, the quinoa and the millet. And all the in smaller there. little yeah. seeds for finches and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So lots more little brown jobs. As yeah. you say. So. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna make you a bird nerd before the day is out. I should give you my binoculars. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is part of the stewardship scheme. This is part. Yeah. Farmers can get some funding for kind of environmental schemes and for promoting biodiversity on farm right exactly and that's um going to be the 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 core of the system that replaces the common agricultural policy the one that everyone's guessing about right now (laughs) everyone is just like waiting for us just like please i how hard i don't know how hard it can be but it's um it's been a bit like pulling teeth uh because they're already talking you know but phasing out the old system and and bringing this new new one in but um <laughs> a meantime version yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah we'll just we'll see what happens but it's um it, it's it's fantastic for fields like yeah this is this you can see this field is split in in two so yeah the half that we've got down to grass that floods Okay. Um, yeah, so that's, that's why the lower part. Of this. Yeah, so that's why we've got the, the grass in there. But yeah. also because back when it flooded really bad last year, 
part of this flooded as well so we had a lot of um like snipe and woodcock in here oh right great yeah, yeah. so that was um that's quite nice to see yeah again more declining what we call farmland birds yeah not just farmland yeah. but yeah yeah uh we occasionally hear a curlew but i've never actually seen him right um and they're in big trouble curly aren't they yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the new um, system or scheme they're proposing is ELMS, the Elms, Environmental yeah. Land Management Scheme. Yeah, yeah they love uh, an acronym, don't they? They do, yeah. <laughs> so that will replace the Common Agricultural Policy and the uh, Farm and the stu- Stewardship And the, and the Stewardship, scheme. although yeah. the, the existing stewardship agreements will continue to run their course. Okay. Um, if you're kind of mid scheme, yeah, kind of little, yeah, if, yeah. You, if you've gone through it, um, and it, it's it's thought that the that the the tier two of elms is going to be pretty much exactly the same as a mid tier scheme, right? And then tier three um, will be sort of larger landscape based. I'm hoping that's project. good for uh, my little yeah, agri wild yeah, venture yeah, in future. Yeah, yeah. We'll see if rewilding comes into it. That's one of the big. Uh, question marks over it now at the moment is if they're going to recognise rewilding as an actual land use I think I, th- I mean I think they one of the I think they have to sort of start thinking about these things on on larger scales when it comes to sort of biodiversity because one of my issues with the, the stewardship schemes is that you can have farms say 10 farms all next door to each other mm. And they will be doing everything in isolation. Yeah. So they every farm will have a little wild bird mix, and every farm will have a little bit for ground nesting birds without any. There's no connectivity. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no like wildlife life bridges or highways corridors. Or, 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 and, yeah. yeah. And 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 there's no no real thought for for how it how they all tie in together. So I, I really do. Um, so I've, that's a point that I tried to put across to whenever there's been an opportunity to um, comment on the proposed system yeah try to put that put that across because just having uh, islands of things just i just it just seems a little box ticking yeah to me. that's it it doesn't it doesn't work too well we talk about uh, bigger better more joined up being the kind of goal to go for in conservation now yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. And um, one of the criticisms, I suppose, of the current kind of system, some people will say, you know, oh, farmers are getting paid for, like, doing nothing or for just leaving their land go fallow or leaving their, you know, putting in a little bird mix and getting paid for that. But unless you pay farmers for that, it's not going to happen because yeah. farmers are on tight margins and trying to, to make the land work for... And, and, yeah, like I said before, we're tenant farmers here. Yeah. So we have the rent to pay every year. Yeah. And we have no matter your profit from yeah, your, your crops. Exactly, and, yeah. and the rent never goes down. Yeah. <laughs> it only ever goes one way yeah. if we have a rent review. So we have to make sure that the land we have is, uh, is, is working for us. And we try to do it in... You know, we could be doing things very differently. We could have put a load of chicken sheds up and made an absolute fortune from that, but it's not really what we want to do. So we've... We've gone for the sort of the the lower um, the lower profit um, uh, side of things. I mean, it doesn't mean that being organic isn't profitable. I mean, there's there are things that you know we don't have all the input, the chemical inputs yeah. that a lot of farmers do have, um, which makes it a lot a lot cheaper um, and better for biodiversity. A lot better for bi- biodiversity. I mean, just you've seen that what we've got around here yeah. now, and just having. A lot of people see it as weeds, but if you see a flower, then it's, especially this late in the year, it's a food source for any bees that haven't yet, like, yeah. gone and uh, tucked themselves up. Well, I bang on about this all the time, but uh, a weed is a wildflower, normally. Or yeah. wildflowers are defined as weeds, but the definition of a weed is a plant in the wrong place. place. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like, guys, there's no such thing as weeds. It's a man-made construct. <laughs> like, yeah, I think vetch, vetch is probably the... Um, one of the uh, the plants that, depending on where it is, is um, is either uh, this. Um, you know, a lot of farmers will put vetches in for um, they're legume. They're legume, right? Aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, and so they'll they'll fix nitrogen as well, and they're flowering. They're very pretty. But also, you get those in a cereal crop, 
and they're so like they're like um you know they're like peas they're like, they're like know, tendrils on them and, yeah. yeah get those in a combine header and it's just it's just game over and you spent you've got an hour like trying to oh, trying no. to pull it out right. yeah. so like you said it's just a, it's just a plant that's in the wrong place yeah and when we were over earlier on your um your organic veg um site there's lots of weeds growing on the ground but you said like that's good because it's almost acting as a cover crop yeah it's bare soil isn't a good thing soil, is it yeah stopping soil runoff it's getting some roots down there some bind, binding it all together um be putting a little bit of carbon in there there's you know, a yeah. few flowers on that it'll be keeping something happy we man we do have quite a lot of weeds but we do tend to manage them so during the during the summer we will mechanically weed things yeah. with steerage hose yeah um sort of like a, a tine weeder tine harrow yeah we'll go through go through crops with that just it just pulls out the weeds um just to reduce the competition when the crop yeah, is young and needs to, yeah. get, needs to get established because especially with the lettuce if they get over overshadowed by um, um some chickweed and fat hen then it's yeah the, they just don't grow just they get yeah. later they sort of grow also like pale and tall and, and then bolts quicker yeah yeah. yeah yeah cool um so you've been farming organic veg for uh, what is it, 15 years to say? Yep, yep, yeah. we're just over, over 15 years now. It started with broccoli, just broccoli, and then so we branched out to, um, to various other crops and pretty much all goes to Abel and Cole. Yeah. Um, so if anybody wants to know where to where to get your harvest, yeah, organic vegetables. It looks delicious, else. folks. <laughs> <laughs> Set up your subscription. So Do you have a promo code? Give you an environment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I think it's an important point that actually, you know, our food purchasing choices um, really make a difference to the environment and to biodiversity as well. Our mutual friend Jeff over yeah. in yeah, the Netherlands, yeah. um, Mangalitsa farmer. I interviewed him on a podcast earlier this year and. He said we get to make a choice three times a day on how you know our land is looked after and with our with our food decisions. Mm. So buying organic and buying from farmers who are you know looking after the landscape and, and trying to do things for biodiversity alongside farming is really important, isn't it? And also with the um, the agriculture bill. Mm. Yeah, post, let's talk about the that. Post Brexit agriculture bill. So there's a lot of controversy about that so there was um there were um amendments proposed to try to uh protect the food standards um both the uh the welfare standards and the environmental standards yeah. of food produced um and ensure that food that we import as part of the free trade deal meets the, the same standards, the same standards yeah. That British farmers um, are not only bound to produce to, but proud to produce to. Yeah. And by allowing in cheaper imports, that not only uh, gives them an unfair advantage financially, it also means that we are um, promoting poor welfare and environmental standards. And there's also the potential health um the 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 health issues that come with eating that food so in the states there are i think it's 75 chemicals they're allowed to use that are banned in this country crazy uh, that are found in residues at levels higher than we're allowed to to have any um, pesticide residues in conventional crops yeah so i think it's dacfal is one of them uh, which is classed as a carcinogen. Yeah. Um, and that's allowed to be used over there, and it's illegal it's banned to, here. Banned to use, banned to use here. Um, antibiotic usage. Yeah. In uh, in American agriculture is so high, purely the fact that animals are kept in such close confinement. Yeah. Now. Intensive I've, systems. Really intensive systems. High stocking densities. And I've had the occasional heated discussion with people on Instagram saying, oh, but we have so much more land. You know, there's there's a lot fewer cattle um, per um, per square metre in in, um, in the States than there is in 
in the UK. I was like, well, but they're condensed why not spread into them tiny, out yeah. a bit more then? If you've got so much space, yeah, yeah, uh, just, just, yeah, um, don't keep them in these feedlots. But I think, I think it's fair to say they are more than here. People are even further detached from where food comes from and what their food is. I right? think it's, I think it's, um, I think there are two very clear defined types of people in yeah. the states. I think there are probably more people who are very connected yeah. with food and where it comes from uh, people who, who live in these rural communities but then there are also a lot of people a lot more people to whom food is kind of just a product just come they, and, and the, yeah. the level of subsidies in the states especially on corn means that corn syrup is just pumped into it's in everything much isn't every it? single food high fructose corn syrup on every ingredient list yeah. ever isn't it yeah, it's crazy because because like farmers are subsidized to grow this stuff and they don't really know why they're growing it and it's just it's, it's like, like what are we going to use, use it in everything it? <laughs> really wow um and 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 it corn does receive far higher subsidies than, than any other yeah. um, product in the in the u.s which makes you know feeding it to to livestock so much so much cheaper which is yeah. another reason for, for making it cheaper yeah um and i think like that kind of explains a little bit about the kind of grain free trend and we see that in pet foods and stuff like that but also in human foods of like going paleo and mm. this massive apparent rise in gluten intolerance and things they actually think that a lot of it might not be to do with gluten itself but it's the chemicals used Roundup. to produce those crops yeah, right yeah, yeah yeah so the there's um should we jump into the cabin we get in the cabin we're getting, here, we're getting it rained pissed on, on. <laughs> um do you reckon we can do it while we're still attached? Yeah, if you go through that side. We're attached by microphone, folks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's try, start, starting try, to chuck it down now. Try to do it without the dogs ripping them up. Yeah, they'll be all right. Jump up, Barney. Come on, fella. Oh, big dog. Barney yeah. is Ben's very, very cute little Lancashire healer, and I'm kind of in love. Barnes, come here, boy. And then Percy is... Yep. His mental little Jack Russell with a kind of psychotic glint in his eye. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'm not fair. Um, so yeah, glyphosate is a big problem in the in the states, right? Yeah, North America. So that's, that's one of the one of the um, discussions was that you know this. Um, I can't remember what his name is now. Zach something. I saw a uh, uh, a talk by him on. You know, your your gut biome. Yes, yeah. And and your, your leaky junctions and your yeah, gut leaky gut syndrome. Yeah. yeah. And and how that that sort of affects um, uh, inflammation in the body, but it's uh, yeah. And they say that this gluten intolerance um, sort of peaked about the time that they started using glyphosate to as a pre-harvest treatment to kill off. Um, uh, all the you know, the various various crops that they were growing by killing them off you have a much more even um, even crop so you don't have some crops that are still a little bit green and uh, you know as, right. as you go through you'll have you'll have variable patches where it's know, killing off the really, weeds in the crop or you know, killing, killing off, off the, crop the crop itself kills off the crop itself okay um, so that you know with with cereal crops you have that that once the um, grain is ripened yeah, yeah you yeah. have you have that that growing period where you know the the, the the stem grows and then you have the the ears of grain forming and then once those are formed they'll spray it with roundup to kill it off so that everything is it's uniform is, yeah right yeah, yeah. Um, and, and they, they think that, yeah, it's... But that's craziness when you think about it. Like, I'm talking to an organic farmer. You're obviously quite biased, but if for, a, for a good reason. But that's craziness to be putting... You know, they've already probably used these chemicals on the field and on the land already things, to yeah. kill all the weeds and get it, like, uniform for the crop to go in. And then they're spraying it at the point of harvest yeah. and expecting there to be no knock-on consequences in the food chain. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, Monsanto... Um, so who then got bought by Bayer? Uh, so Monsanto um, <laughs> always have always been fairly regarded as the um, the evil, the big bad guys. Yeah, yeah. And whether it's their um, whether it's the use of chemicals or their um, genetic modification of crops to be Roundup resistant, Roundup yeah. being the, the brand name for glyphosate, and. Um, there's all this stuff started coming out after Bayer took them over, saying that um, they were 
targeting journalists to mm. who had said bad things about them to try and dig up dirt to discredit them. We better be careful then. I know. <laughs> uh, I'll, just, uh, I'll just have to check under my car. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it, it is amazing that the lengths that that various companies will go to in order to um, uh, to protect their you know their their, their investment their really isn't it? Yeah. And and so you do find that they there's this this thing where they almost make it um like you have to use it if you don't use it you're at a complete disadvantage yeah. to all your competitors uh, right? but i've so i have the pleasure of meeting um someone through instagram he's a good really good friend now down in sirencester who is a com- big conventional farmer mm. who is flirting with the the idea of organic and is converting some land to organic and using not just organic practices but some very interesting um, new ideas to massively reduce his reliance on chemicals and whilst at the same time maintaining the conventional yields that uh, that his neighbours would get yeah whilst also increasing improving biodiversity and soil health what kind of um interventions or what kind of um systems can you use if you are going that way so you show you showed me your strips up in the the veg patch what? yeah so if you can do if you can do anything to um promote beneficial insects yeah um to lure pests away not just beneficial insects but habitats for birds that will feed on invertebrates yeah beetle banks yeah right? yeah, yeah. Um, uh, just leaving uh, if you've say pollarded some trees and you've got some some like some you know all the the, the brush the, and, the dead brush and yep. stuff just leaving a leaving a pile of that in, dead in hedges the field. piles they are great love, aren't they love stuff they love yeah. that um, and then also various uh, plants like you can um, clover is very good at suppressing weed growth yeah so if you put some um, if you under so crops with clover they will once the the main crop is away and the clover starts coming up the the main crop should be able to grow away from the clover but the clover will then suppress carpet the ground yeah ground and cover then, yeah. and then you also have the nitrogen fixing benefits of the clover as well and the bees love it bumblebees yeah. love it yeah. Really. yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah and you planted strips up there of uh, what was it phacelia and buckwheat phacelia and buckwheat yeah um, what was the purpose of which that which again was um, the the idea behind it was to encourage the beneficial insects, um, lacewing, um, parasitic wasps, ladybirds, yeah, yeah, ladybirds, and with our lettuce, we um, so there there are some organic certified uh, pesticides you can use. Yeah, usually they are. Um, Phosphate salts, so soft, right. soft, soft, soft soap, yeah. sort of thing. Those um, kill the aphids, yeah, but don't don't really damage anything anything else. Yeah, but it's expensive. It's um, you know diesel. It's time with the lettuce. We have found we haven't had to use anything for probably five or six years. Really? We control aphids on lettuce because we just play chicken with the aphids. Yeah. And we wait, and the aphids come, and you go, no, I'll wait, I'll wait, and then the more aphids come, and just when you think it's going to be a problem, the ladybirds come in. Yeah. And you see, you start seeing, like, before I knew what ladybird larvae were. Thousands of larvae, like, yeah. What is that thing that looks yeah, like an alien? Yeah. They're incredible, and they have such a voracious appetite yeah and completely now so I've seen this on my allotment you know that I'm obviously organic and uh, it's very wildlife friendly but I have loads of old boys you know who've been on the allotment yeah, for yeah. 20 30 years um, either side of me and when I first came and started doing things in a you know weird way they were like coming up and giving me advice you need to spray that you need to do this <laughs> yeah. you need to do that and broad beans you know probably are like yeah. black fly yes, magnets yeah and uh, I've grown them the last two years and everyone else is there growing their broad beans and asking me now like for advice what can I do organically to, to do it which is great but they're still getting to the point where you know the tips are covered in black fly and they just 
cave and they yeah. sprayed him. And my tips are covered in black fly as well on them. But like you say, it's just one week you go up there and the ladybirds are just decimating them and the broad beans get away then yeah. really well. And that's the problem. If you're not giving... Um, Nature not giving, a chance. Yeah, right? giving the ladybirds a chance to get on top of it, you are depriving them of their food source. So they're either going to die or they're just... Not. Or you'll have less next time. I, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if, it, if it's true, but I know that there was one um, study that suggests that... that crops um sort of let out a bit of a distress signal yeah yeah when when an aphid bites into them i heard that and then that and then that attracts attracts the ladybirds attracts the ladybirds yeah um so uh so yeah that's uh that's quite a um (laughs) i like to think that there's yeah there's plant and predator warfare going on yeah chemical warfare some sort of uh it's like this big like distress flare that goes up and the, the SAS of pest control just like yeah, all yeah. fly in. All bombing in. But uh, they have to bomb in over surrounding land that's sprayed, right? That's yeah. And that's the issue with connectivity is yeah, that yeah. if we're um, not leaving those corridors for things to get around through the landscape, we're just yeah. islands on our own, aren't and we? I, I, I like to think that um, you know they're, they're hiding away somewhere over winter in um, the various sort of like rough messy bits of the farm that, that we've got and we've got plenty of, we've got plenty of those but that's good that's what i like to see and it, and it's, and it is it is great because you know this this little patch we can just see, see yeah. here in front of us we call that fox cops okay and it's just uh some birch trees some, um, some other bits yeah, yeah some other bits and bobs that my grandfather planted there's um there's a mountain ash in there oh yeah uh all lovely with it but some of that bears. kind of those kind of features or like basically places left to go back to nature and just take over would have traditionally been seen as like untidy farming wouldn't it or like lazy farming in yeah. a way do you think that's changing across the farming community or is there still that kind of obsession with neatness I and think there are some there are still some people who and my dad my dad's the same to, to an extent with you know having to um, it was decades of being taught this is the way to do it, yeah, right? Yeah, so keeping... And, and I think one of the, one of my bugbears is people who feel the need to mow grass verges yeah. um, to within an inch of their lives I know. all year round. I know. That, like, absolutely makes me livid. I'm like, it doesn't need to be mown. Yeah. Leave yeah. it alone. And you're kicking out, you know, petrol fumes into the environment every time you do it. Yeah. It's and craziness. It's... Uh, there's a, a big roundabout just down the road from here, and they started leaving that and I don't know whether they planted it where it came from I mean probably the same place where most of our oxide daisies come from because we didn't plant oxide daisies they just self-seeded it and this roundabout it's a big roundabout and it's absolutely heaving with with these oxide daisies and it looks incredible it looks so much more pleasing than than, than a, uh, a bowling lawn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. And but at the time, the, the cost to the council, you know, the, the cash strap council here, you know, of, yeah. of mowing a bird, just, just leave it, mate. Just That's leave it. it. Ealing Council, where I live, are really good now at this, and they're basically, so in some verges, they're planting it with kind of a wildflower mix. Yeah. Um, they get a bit of stick from some of the real naturalists going that's not wildflower it's it's not native stuff it's just blousy showy stuff to, <laughs> but it's like actually it gets people talking about it and it gets people taking interest in oh there's a reason they're not mowing some other areas because actually leaving it to nature and helping out pollinators is, is really important yeah, yeah. so I think we're lucky in Ealing to have a council that is quite progressive on that and yeah, has really. stepped off the mowing they get they do get stick like from people saying the public parks look scruffy and da 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 but it's like we have to get away from that idea that grass is just for humans and, and yeah. parkland is just for humans or you know motorway verges don't yeah. need mowing yeah. do they yeah. yeah yeah no there's so there's so much there's so much going on in uh in, in every i mean it's i think people also get very excited by um certain types of 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 wildlife you know some pretty butterflies that are pretty colours and birds that are pretty colours but there's so many really dull looking insects and things like with with our cattle for example being organic um, if you need to use wormer I was going to ask you about this yeah yeah. how do you get how do you manage that um, so like the 
the the thing is like a lot of farmers will use ivermectin based yeah. wormers which which are lethal to a lot of insects right exactly so they will go straight out in the dung yeah and will kill the dung all the dung beetles that live, yeah. that live in the ground and feed loads of other wildlife yeah yeah and with the with organic use um we only worm them if they absolutely need to. If so you're doing to worm counts. So do a fecal and, egg count, yeah. yeah. And to see if, if there's a need for it. And then we'll, we'll use... And is it then you decide based on the level of worms in, yeah. the, in the herd yeah. rather than, you know, if they're there, just nuke them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we use, um, uh, I think it's Levamisole. Yeah. And that's, you know, the sort of white wormers. Least so, harmful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they will... Um, yeah, they don't. They don't have that effect on dung beetles, and we tend to only use them when they come, when they come in to the sheds during the winter, so that you're not having the dung going onto the. I was going to say because it's kind of like holistic management as well, isn't it? That you're you're worming them at a certain time when they need to be wormed, but then you're taking them off the pasture so they don't reinfect that pasture yeah, as well. Right? Yeah, yeah, and um, so you know, if you see, uh, uh, you know dung out in the field that has gone you know just really crusty and old it's you know probably because you know, it doesn't have a very healthy soil environment ecosystem yeah. that you know normally in a, in a in a healthy soil environment you will have you know the dung beetles in in a couple of weeks will have completely assimilated broken it down that. brought it into yeah. the soil yeah um the problems we have of course is that you know all our pasture spent like six months underwater uh last year so that didn't really do an awful lot for so it would kill a lot of the beneficial organisms in the soil takes the oxygen out of the soil compaction yeah um which is a bit of a shame but it always i guess because we we're going at it from a fairly good base level um it usually bounces back yeah, fairly quickly yeah. next year. And you're talking about like, you know, little dull insects and things, but actually if you really rewind it back to like the base level, it's about the bacteria and the fungi yeah. and everything in the soil. Yeah, yeah. All the ecosystem starts with that, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And farming can be very harmful to that, but you can also farm in, in kind of um, ways that benefit that. So we're seeing a big rise in like regenerative agriculture, and which is kind of what you know what you're doing here right and, and it can be and that can be shall i let uh, yeah i think he's seen something that he wants to chase yeah. he's got his killer vibes on there he goes it's a rabbit or something look at him bouncing oh it's a pheasant wow he's got a good eye he's never caught one no yet yet it's only a matter of time i think with him uh, yeah. but yeah what do you think about this rise in regenerative agriculture yeah i think it's I think it's regenerative agriculture and um, or agroecology yeah. is uh, another buzzword that the Soil Association are using quite a lot now. Is um, it does it's not necessarily the the hippie um, sort of hemp yeah, wearing yeah, yeah. Uh, sort a of commune buying a yeah. farm down yeah. Um, it's you know. It, I think people are, people are starting to realise, and I'm noticing it now more in uh, in the farming press, like Farmers Weekly. Yeah. More articles about soil health and about building soil carbon and healthy healthy soil, because I think people are starting to realise that it's a bit like if you are really tired, you know. If, you, if you're still, you know, working and mm. you, like, have a coffee to pick you up and that picks you up a bit, but you just keep on wearing down your resources and all you're doing is just... Low battery all the time, yeah. If you're just depleting the soil health the whole time, all you're doing is having to put on more fertiliser to make up for the, for the poor soil health. Yeah. If you can improve the soil health, you end up, in the long run spending less on it. I was going to say saving yourself money in the long term, right? Because you have much healthier crops, and healthier crops can withstand diseases better, so you not only get better yields, you also get disease resistance, you get them being able to withstand a a little bit of um, um, pest burden as well. Yeah. All these things that, that just 
when you look at it from, like you're saying, holistically, right from the soil and building that up, looking at the bigger picture, you do, you can farm productively without having to constantly throw these chemical inputs. Yeah, yeah. And while building soil health and improving it over time. And a lot of it is, you know, having a good crop rotation. Yeah. So not growing the same thing in the same field over and over over again. Because that's when you get disease build-up. Yeah. Um, And the crop taking out all of the nutrients it prefers and things. Exactly. So it will just be, like you say, the ones it prefers. It will be taking out certain nutrients. There'll be other ones in there. Um, So... There are various weeds, like black grass is one of them that's big, big in the in you know the farming. Um, that's the, the the big issue in farming, uh, arable farming now is controlling black grass. We don't have a problem mm. because we have a really strong rotation. What is is that a native grass or? Uh... Um, you see, I know very little about it. Mm. Don't really, it's not an issue on our farm yeah. because we you know we'll have our arable rotation you know the, the cereals then we'll have the vegetables and then we have the um for a break we'll either do the the wild bird like mix a cover for the, crop or something and yeah. then we'll have um clover put yeah. clover down for, for between two and five years and that will like i said it suppresses weed growth um, you're constantly taking taking clover and grass off it to feed the cattle in the winter, yeah. And then it just and it just helps recondition the soil, ready to go into start the rotation yeah. again. So um, let's move on to a favourite topic of yours, animal agriculture, yeah, and the issue of meat eat meat eating and the environment and carbon emissions. Um, it's something that's massively misunderstood, massively simplified in the mainstream media, I think, and it's not a case of you know. Um, if you eat meat, it's what kind of meat you eat, whether you're kind of contributing to, to harm to the environment, isn't it? Yeah, so so I am I am a meat eater. I'm not going to... Uh, so, and I have no problem with people who ethically might not want to eat meat. Yep. If, they, if they say, I don't agree with eating animals, fine, that's your choice. I do have an issue when people start misquoting a lot of the figures about animal agriculture and the environment. Um... So, animal agriculture in the UK uh, accounts for, I think it's nine percent of greenhouse gas emissions. Right. In the UK, uh, if you, a lot of people say, oh, it's um, it's the greenhouse gas emissions are greater than from transport, and those figures are very much cherry picked by just taking the um, the direct emissions from exhaust and the lifetime emissions from cattle including any fossil fuels used to to grow food that fed to cattle yeah um so that doesn't take into account quite a crude measure right transport doesn't take into account the the carbon cost you know the environmental cost of producing those vehicles doesn't take into account the environmental cost you know of drilling for oil refining that maintaining roadways and also that's you know with transport you are purely talking about emissions from fossil fuels so there is no way that transport can be a net sink of carbon with animal agriculture so our farm said for about 100 acres of our farm floods it's not suitable for crop production. Yeah. So we have it as permanent pasture. The grass that the cattle feed on is the carbon in that has been taken from the atmosphere. They're putting roots down. The bringing brings the root mass is bringing carbon into, into the soil, the soil yeah. as well. The cattle, as they grow, I mean, so a calf is say forty-five kilos when it's born. By the time it gets to to, um, to full weight, say 650, 700 kilos, I mean, there's a fair bit of carbon stored in that in animal. In that animal, yeah. Um, so it very rarely do any of these figures take into account the, you know, the natural carbon cycle. Now, I am as anti-cutting down the rainforest um, for livestock production as 
anyone is. Um, and so when people say to me, I've gone, um, I've gone vegan because I don't think, you know, we shouldn't be cutting down the, uh, the rainforest to, yeah. to feed cattle. I was like, well, none of my cattle have been to Brazil. Um, none of the food they eat has come from Brazil. Yeah. We grow everything that the cattle eat here on farm. Yeah. Uh, so the I think a lot of the the the, the problems are the um, are the, the the misconception of people who probably don't know how food is produced, and if there are people who can can sort of tap into that um, tap into that, they can sway people's. Um, opinions very easily. So the recent "Kiss the Ground" uh, mm, documentary. Yeah. Have you seen that? On, I haven't on seen Netflix? it. Yes. No. It's on my to-do list. And that is a perfect example of regenerative agriculture and how livestock farming can, whilst in some cases it is the problem, yeah, it can also be part of the solution. Part of the solution. Yeah. And I think that is. One of the issues with the media, particularly, is they love a story, mm. and everybody on social media loves. It's all so polarizing. Yeah, it's black or white, isn't it? Everything is black or white. There is no, there is no. The problem with with a lot of um, you know, a lot of these things are usually talked about globally. So they will say of global emissions from livestock and and um and how many cattle are, are reared in in the world there yeah the thing is, is that you can't you can't make you, those sweeping you can't statements make those right? sweeping statements because it varies so much from um fr- from from country to country and and i know it's, it's quite a controversial figure there's a chap called alan alan savory doing work with mob grazing and regenerating grassland mm. in Africa and a lot of people say that oh no that's nonsense it won't work but he's shown that you know by mob grazing um, so putting livestock on, on areas of grassland quite intensively for very short periods of time and then moving, and then them, moving along. them on yeah. actually helps to to regenerate a lot of that land that's Percy Percy's a having a little growl shouting at Barney um <laughs> coming in Barnes <laughs> so hey Barney how you doing if you if you look at um in the states, the Dust Bowl yeah. um, is uh, the Dust Bowl was formed by poor um, poor grazing management. It wasn't poor grazing. It wasn't grazing. Those they were all grass plains. It happened when they plowed it all up. Right. So they plowed it all up to plant crops. Okay. And um, yeah, plowed it all up to plant crops, and it was just. A load of people, you know, they moved into that area. It's like, let's do what we've done everywhere else. Grow corn. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. And, like, corn is one of the most destructive crops you can you can grow. Uh, so before then, for hundreds of thousands of years, buffalo had, had, yeah, gra- yeah. had grazed that, that land. And there is a lot of um, discussion that, that maybe a lot of this corn ground should be turned back to grassland. Right. To... Um, the natural kind of steppe habitat that it yeah, was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the benefits you can get from that from the, uh, from, from the biodiversity as well. Yeah. And, and all the... I think in, originally there were, I think it's 60, about 60 million buffalo in the States... And the majority of those were killed to starve the Native Americans, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then and then sort of gradually the the cattle numbers have have increased there, and I think there are now ninety million cattle in the in the U.S. Wow. Now the the thing is is that you know, people say, oh, you know, you can't you can't feed the same number of people from um, you know by doing it all regeneratively. Yeah. Yep. But the thing is, is that 
in the UK, we throw away a third of our food that we buy at supermarkets. I heard it was up to 40% when you take into account um, just stuff that doesn't even make it to the supermarket, right? 40% food waste in the Western world. It's crazy, isn't it? It's it's obscene. And I think part of that is due to... If you look, at, if you go to the supermarkets, you will never see, and you know, apart from maybe like the expensive stuff like Waitrose and Marks and Spencers, you will only ever see them talking about food as being cheaper. We've slashed this price. We've, yeah, we've yeah. made the cheaper two three five, for two. Yeah. And while some people struggle to to, whilst there are people out there struggling to feed their families, the issue is not the price of food. Food in the UK, we spend we spend less on food than pretty much every other country in the world mm. apart from Singapore which is a, benev- a benevolent dictatorship yeah, where yeah. their food is heavily subsidised but they're actually growing it themselves and the US again food which is heavily subsidised and industrialised Yeah. the problem is like other living costs like rent, buying houses you live in London. Yeah, you must, you must know I know. How that, you know how that. <laughs> oh, I know. And if food had kept pace in inflation with land pri- with housing prices, a chicken would cost fifty one pounds. That's insane. So that's how. That's how. And you can so, buy one for two ninety five in yeah. Asda now. And so that's how that both shows quite how cheap food is, and also how ridiculously overpriced housing is in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and if you want to keep driving the price of food down, something has to give. And it's been our environment, hasn't it? Yeah. With so you industrial agriculture. You and cannot have cheap food, quality food, and high welfare food, especially if you are not going to subsidise it. Yeah. Or have nature living alongside. Exactly. You know, and that's why we've seen despite, you know, so many conservation organisations and things, we're just seeing continuous declines. Um, We're now the most nature-depleted country, one of the most nature-depleted countries in the world, which is absolutely crazy. And it's, like, I know that it sounds a bit rich, us sort of telling places like Brazil that we shouldn't um, be, they shouldn't be cutting down all their trees when we have... We've done it. (laughs) We've done it, but... um, like I know that we, because we we were quite a um, a big developing country early on, we cut down a lot of our trees very early on. If you see a lot of our house building, um, especially around here, their timber frame, yeah. the, a lot of oak frame buildings. We had you know the biggest navy in the world for a long yeah. time, a lot of ship building, uh, and I think we. Um, the lowest tree cover we had in the UK was in the Industrial Revolution and the Victorian time. Mm. And now I believe we are back up to about 13% tree cover, which yeah. is about where we were at the time of the Norman Conquest. So wow. even even when you think, I mean, you look around and are quite, we're quite lucky over here, there is a bit more tree cover. But yeah. if you go over some places... Um, over in the east of the country, they are, look like pretty desolate, yeah. <laughs> barren wastelands. Just a few like linear hedgerows with one or two trees if sticking they, out of them, isn't they it? Don't do if if they even don't, the the fens, they don't do hedges yeah, yeah. and fens. Um, so it's massive fields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, planting trees is not always the answer. Now everybody thinks, oh, let's just plant loads and loads of trees. Yeah, and I know that I think it was the Forestry Commission or the Woodland Trust. Uh, got in a bit of hot water over wanting to plant a load of trees on a wildflower meadow. Yeah, no, it's just you, know, you have to put the right trees in the right place. One like pretty impoverished and and uh, under threat yeah. habitats and they to are put trees on really it, important so. habitats. Yeah. And, and one of the the biggest um, and most important um, habitats we have the fight against car- against climate change and the best way to store carbon the only way to perpetually store carbon because even grassland and trees like once trees reach maturity their ability to to store carbon decreases yeah peatland yes is, it's even better isn't it is the best the best way to do it but there's very little 
that gets talked about that and not only does it help store carbon but if you drain it and it dries out it starts releasing carbon but also in upland areas it acts like a sponge to regulate the, the water the coming water, off the land water yeah. so everyone it's a flood defence isn't it yeah everyone around here says oh no we shouldn't um, we shouldn't be uh, we should be dredging the, the rivers um, because they're all silted up it's like well actually the best thing to do is to slow the runoff yeah. of, of water from, from upstream so so it, it swells when it rains and then when it dry when it dries it's just r- still releasing that water in a slower trickle which yeah. means you don't have the massive fluctuations uh, well you know my prescription for that don't you Beavers, beavers, beavers. <laughs> yeah. I'm a beaver believer. I'm all, I'm all for. I'm all for it. I'm we need to it. get them on here. <laughs> I mean, we've got we've got plenty of trees that have come down in the in the river that yeah. we're unable to get to with our. But with yeah, our beavers kit, do so. the exact same thing: is that they create lots of little um, channels off a, a water source, and more water being held on the landscape, so it acts mm. as a sponge, and, and you don't get that flash flooding then yeah. um, downstream. Yeah. But we've, you know, dredging is kind of like this really narrow-minded, like let's do that because it'll help us in the short term but actually what we need to do is put back in the bends and the meanders and natural yeah, features of, yeah. the, of the river systems yeah. that we took out in our in our infinite wisdom you know and 40 it, 50 years ago and there are there are you know, two trains of thought again with you know the uh, the the wilding versus the a lot of the um, the rewilding versus the a lot of the river trusts yeah with fencing off riverbanks to livestock from livestock yeah um, the river trusts say no they should be fenced off livestock shouldn't be allowed into rivers but then a lot of the rewilding um, talk is that you know we should have those sloping banks rather than these steep sided yeah. canals um, we should have sort of animals sort of grazing the, um, the the willow along the side of and the letting light into the river yeah, or yeah light. exactly because we, you know, we're, we're constantly having to, to pollard and coppice um, yeah willow from the from the size of the bank yeah so it's um yeah you it, need some beavers you need some beavers you need some beavers <laughs> that's sure your what, next venture i'm not sure what percy would think about beavers i think a beaver would kick percy's ass <laughs> sorry percy i know you're a little tough you guy but yeah well look ben i think we could talk for hours yeah. and hours and we probably will because where where are we off to next on the farm um what's the time now 10 past 10 past three i think we should probably head over to a new exciting patch of land um, that I'd like to show you. Cool, let's do that. And with that, myself and Ben went off to look at a top secret project he is working on that I'm sure he'll be announcing fairly soon. Uh, I really enjoyed that episode. If you enjoyed it too, we would love to get a rating or a review on whatever podcast app or streaming service you're listening to on. It does really help get us out to a wider audience. And also, if you'd like to sponsor an episode, you or your business would like to sponsor an episode, please do get in touch with me on any social media. I'm on Twitter at at ThatVetSean. I'm on Instagram at ThatVetSean. Or just get in touch where you're listening um, if there's an email address there. We would also love you to consider donating to the podcast the costs of it have all been stumped up by me in uh, the last three seasons this this is season four now um, and it's starting to add up so uh, if you'd like to donate and you enjoyed the episode you can do so on ACAST supporter or on the patreon link in the show description thanks all and see you again on another podcast soon